Here's the other thing, and I want to rejoice. I want to, I want to thank you and bless you. I read in the bulletin here that we have surpassed the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, providing for our missionaries on the field, $128,000, and our goal was $120,000. let us give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> thank you so very much for your faithfulness and giving. Yes, sir. 141. Nate, let's give the Lord another hand. 141. Thank you. I appreciate that, Nathan. Oh, I tell you, it just thrills my heart when God's people learn the joy of giving and it honors God. And I am so grateful for that. We got a lot of Christmas cards this uh, Christmas. I guess you got some too, didn't you? Here's one, and this is just one of many. It says, Peace on Earth. And, and you know, that's, a, that, that's the theme that we're talking about peace on earth. Everybody wants peace, but nobody knows how to get it, apparently. And they fail to realize that Jesus is our peace. One of the great illustrations of this I read about an incident in World War II. <clears throat> the war was only five months old, but already 800,000 had been wounded or killed. And on Christmas Eve, Everybody was anticipating that, you know, next day they would get out there and start shooting each other again. But the British began to sing Christmas carols, and some even raised up a banner or a, a, a sign that said, Merry Christmas. As they were singing, the Germans across the way began to sing the same carols in a, their language, but the music's the same. And, and so, something strange happened. As Christmas Day dawned, some of those men in the British trenches left their weapons, got out of the trenches, and walked out into no man's land. Whereupon, those in the German trenches, they also got out of their trenches and came out to no man's land. I mean, all along the, the, the front, I mean, all the way from the English Channel to the Swiss Alps, all the way through, these people put down their arms, they met, and they Converse, they, they visited, they exchanged gifts, primarily sweets and cigars. And in one place, the, the British and the Germans even played soccer. Germans won three to two. <laughs> but my whole point here is that for that little while, they, they stopped fighting because it was Christmas and Jesus was common to all of them. Not only that, but it lasted into the next day along that line in several places. And it finally came to an end when fresh troops arrived and the officers of these men told them that this kind of fraternizing, this informal understanding with the enemy was going to be punished as treason if they didn't stop doing it. And so the war resumed, and of course you know how that turned out. The whole point, though, is peace. Peace came because Jesus came so that we might have peace. Our scripture this morning is in 2 Timothy, or rather, in Luke chapter 2 and in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Well, what a statement. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those upon whom God's favor rests. Or in the New American Standard, it'll say, with whom he is pleased. You know, Jesus came to bring peace. And as a matter of fact, do you know that the last thing he said, one of the last things he said when he left? He said, I want you to have peace. Listen to it. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world longs for peace. And yet it is unwilling to acknowledge that the way to real peace is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it so well. Listen to what he writes to the Thessalonians. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. The Lord himself, the God of peace himself, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to give peace to every one of us here this morning. And we can have that peace. Jesus came to bring it. And here's what. We, if we will simply receive what he, him and what he offers and rely on his word and then respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life, you and I, we all can experience peace. Now, looking at this Christmas story, I want to expand it and apply this to the larger context here in chapter 2. There are at least three groups that I see that need peace. Number one is that God's people need peace. Those young couples, families that are struggling with stress and strain, they need peace. I know that because Mary and Joseph had all kind of stress on their marriage. I mean, think about it. It's hard to imagine, you know, anybody under worse stress than they were. I mean, she's pregnant before they're married, and he knows it's not his baby. And so that brings all kind of baggage, doesn't it? Distrust, pain. I mean, the reality is that, that they needed help. They almost broke up. You know that. I mean, the fact is there's stress, there's stress on families today, and we need peace in our families. Not only that, think about it. They got noticed, hey, your taxes are going up. Now, it doesn't say it that way. It says they had to go down to Bethlehem and be registered. But why? So they could pay taxes. And so the whole idea is you're just putting one thing on top of another. And now, ladies, you'll appreciate this. Think about being nine months pregnant, riding on a donkey for those extended miles from Nazareth, which is up in Galilee, all the way down to Bethlehem, which is below Jerusalem. I'm telling you, they had a, I just can only imagine the kind of, of comments that went on as they're making that journey. I know what it'd be like in my place. I mean, then couple that with the fact that when the baby's born, they're told that Herod's going to kill the baby, and so they have to flee. They go down to Egypt, and they stay down there until Herod dies. And, uh, you know, so they're constantly on the move. Have y'all moved very much? Dorothy and I, in the first six years of our marriage, moved seven times. And she was pregnant four times. I'm here to tell you, we live with my family for a few days. We live with her family for a little while. We live with her brother and his wife, Liz, and, and we were there. Let me tell you what I know. One house ain't big enough for two families. <laughs> I, I want you to get the picture of the kind of a situation that we're talking about where people need peace, and they definitely needed peace, and Jesus came to bring that peace. Now, I don't know what it was like at your place. I do know this, that pandemonium oftentimes occurs when you bring in all of our youngins. I told somebody earlier that we celebrated Christmas from Thursday to Thursday. And we had youngins everywhere, and Dorothy does not allow food to be taken into the den. But one little great-grandchild 
had that, he had that deer sausage in his fist, and he wasn't giving it up. And he's walking in there, and he's gnawing on it, man. And Dorothy is going berserk because she just knows it's going to get in the carpet and all that. My point is, sometimes stress comes about, and nobody's really intending it. It just happens. And we need to be able to chill out. We need to be able to back up here. And you don't, hey, look, this thing ain't as bad as we think it is. We need peace. I don't know what your situation is. It may be that you overspent. You, you spent way more money on Christmas than you got money to pay, to pay for. It may be that you've got some other kind of conflicts going on in your family. I'm here to announce to you, Jesus is your peace. He will give you what you need to make it through. He did it for Mary and Joseph. God held them together despite all the tension and despite all the stress. Now, I will say this. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to humble ourselves. We have, to, we have to yield ourselves in order to help maintain that peace. But that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us if, if, if there's conflict somewhere, I mean, Jesus said it this way. If you, have, if you come to the altar to give your gift and you remember that your brother has all against you, what are you supposed to do? Go to your brother and have that mended, then come back and make your offering. When you go to him or her, then that means that you've got to, you've got to yield. You've got to accept responsibility, and it may not, quote, be your fault. I'm just telling you that you need to work in that direction. So peace. Peace is needed for struggling families. Peace is also needed for people that have an overbearing ambition. Look at it here. This is represented by Herod. He is so ambitious. He is the king. And, and, and ambition can blind you. Uncontrolled ambition can destroy your peace of mind because you are never, ever content. You always have to get more or have more or do more. Herod was extremely paranoid. He killed everybody around him. In fact, one Roman emperor said that it would be better to be Herod's dog than his son because he killed everybody that was a competitor. I mean, that's why you have the story about the, the babies in Bethlehem being killed. Every, all the children, two years of age and down, were killed. Why? Because he didn't want a competitor. He was so concerned about himself and so focused on himself. And what I'm trying to help us to see is sometimes we would say, well, that's an extreme. I agree. But the fact is that we oftentimes are, are driven ourselves, and when we allow that drivenness to overwhelm us, then we cannot and do not have peace. Listen to what God's Word says. A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And I think that is so true. I mean, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that we should not strive to excel. I, I am a, I'm a type A. Y'all probably didn't know that. But uh, I, I, I've been, I mean, I have all my life been headed that way. But God intercepted me. He changed my life, and he gave me a new perspective, and he has been helping me to understand more and more as I've matured that it's not about what I want to get or what I want to achieve, but it is about what will bring honor and glory to him. And so we need to understand that. Many of us are tempted to compare ourselves with other people, and when they have greater success or they have more than we do, then, then it robs us because we can't understand why we don't have more. Here's what I know. Your value 
and self-worth are not dependent on how you compare to others. It depends on how you compare to yourself yesterday. Are you a better person today? Or have you grown since yesterday? And we want always to keep growing in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul learned, I know when, the, how to, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And so the contentment that we're looking for is found in him. Now, great illustration of this. In 1995, on September the 6th, Brian Johnson caught a ball in the outfield. And the ball that he caught was hit by Cal Ripken Jr. when he broke Lou Gehrig's consecutive game record. Immediately, there were those cries, don't give it back. Somebody else came up with a handful of money and said, hey, what do you want for that ball? Let me, let me buy that ball from you. And so the, all these people were trying to, to, to get him to, and tell him what to do. You know what he did with it? He took it to the hitter. He took it to uh, Cal Ripken, and he said, I want to give this ball to you. No cost. He said it didn't make any difference to him that Cal Ripken was probably a multimillionaire. He just felt like the ball would mean more to him than it would to anybody else. And so he did. In exchange, he got a Louisville slugger bat signed with this message from Ripken. Thank you so very much for the ball. We both share the same memory. And he goes on to say that he got paid in ways that are beyond money. He said that he uh, had letters from strangers thanking him for doing the right thing. He had people give him photographs of the occasion. His mechanic gave him a discount on his auto repair. <laughs> and the local podiatrist offered him free foot care. Now, what more could you ask than that? <laughs> but he said the greatest payment was this, when his father said, son, I am so proud of you. And then his fiancée, his girlfriend, on the anniversary of the catch, wrote him this, Brian, life provides us with defining moments now and then. Times when we are tr tested to see if who we say we are is really who we are. Well, in this defining moment, you truly shined. And Johnson said that this meant more to him than all the money that he might have gotten for that ball. Contentment. That's what we're talking about. Drivenness, ambition will rob you of your peace. But there's another group that I want us to look at here. And that is that peace is needed by those that are grieving. This is found in chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. This is that part of the scripture where it talks about those babies being killed in Bethlehem. What a horrible and horrendous thing. Can you imagine the pain, the agony, the sorrow, the grief of those parents who had their precious baby taken away and slaughtered? I can't. But you know what? I've been in situations not exactly like that, but something like that. Not long ago, a few years back, I did a funeral for a six-month, 26-day-old child that died just before Christmas. What a horrible thing to think about. How do you celebrate Christmas with something like that? 
I wish you could have been with me at the funeral. Because before I got up to say anything, the dad and the grandfather both asked to speak. And they were powerful. What an unbelievable testimony. Both of them affirmed their faith in God and challenged all of those present to trust Christ if they had not already done so. The grandfather said, I don't know why God took my grandson. We are people of faith. We're not going to turn our back on the Lord because of this. And it's possible that this Christmas you're going through a time of sorrow and deep grief. It may be that you've lost someone precious to you. Maybe it's someone who lived a long time and they've been in your life all your life. Or maybe it's someone that you didn't even get to hold. But your heart's heavy. And I want to tell you, God speaks to that. Here's what he says. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There is peace. There is strength when you know Jesus. So how do you, how do, you do it? What, how do you go about having this peace? Well, I think there are three very simple things that you need to keep in mind. Number one is you have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I mean, that's simply it. You will never know the peace that Jesus wants to give you if you do not know him in a personal way, in a personal relationship. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. How? Because we've been justified by faith in Jesus, by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Faith is a choice. It's a decision that you make. I am going to trust my life into the hands of Jesus. Now, when you do that, something wonderful happens. You get peace on three levels. You get peace with God. That's what that scripture says. Number two, you get peace inside yourself. You know, some of you are beating yourself up. I mean, you're, you're thinking, how can I do some of the things I do? How could I have done some of these? And, you, and you're having a hard time. You don't have peace inside because you're not claiming the victory that you have in him. And I'm telling you, we have been justified by faith. When you came to Christ, those things that the enemy is using to whip you are done away. They're under the blood of Jesus. Don't allow the enemy to keep uh, persecuting you with that. And so we have peace with God. We have peace with ourselves. And then we can have peace with each other. Because, you see, it's not a matter of me achieving what I want as opposed to you getting what you want. It's a matter of us together seeking what Jesus wants. And when we do that, then we have peace. The other thing that you have to do, not only receive Christ, but you have to rely on God's Word. I mean, the Word of God is powerful. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. But the Word of God has power. And in 1 Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And in the very next verse, verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
And what I am understanding is this. When you allow the Word of God to richly dwell within you, the peace of Christ will also be within you, and you will have the ability to face whatever the circumstances in life are. What powerful promises God makes to us. In the book of Philippians, here's what Paul writes. Do not be anxious, that's the opposite of peace, isn't it, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so what we're looking at here is <clears throat> we have to rely on God's word. We have to receive Christ, but then on a daily basis, we have to feed and nourish ourselves with the word of God. And then the third thing is we have to respond in obedience to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us, then we can have that peace. The verse that we read a moment ago in the New American Standard says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the question is, how do you please God? And the way you please God is by obeying him. By doing what he says to do. When he gives us instructions, we receive those instructions and we begin to live them out. And as we do so, we grow in our relationship with God and our understanding. And we maintain fellowship with God. You know, there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Did you know that? There is. For example, my name is Gene Henderson. My daddy was A.W. Henderson Alvin William Henderson uh, Sr. And his nickname was Blackie. Worked on equipment, drove uh, heavy equipment all his life, worked outside. And, uh, and so he was six foot four, 220 pounds when he was weak. I mean, he was a man's man. And I want to tell you, I was afraid of my daddy uh, all, most of my life. In fact, all the time he was alive. <laughs> but there were times when I did things my daddy didn't like. In fact, he told me, he said, I don't want you to come to my house except on Christmas and your mama's birthday. He disowned me virtually. I mean, I wish I had time to tell you why, because it was nothing. <laughs> but my whole point is, he, what I had done caused our fellowship to be broken. Now, was I still Gene Henderson? Was I still A.W. Henderson's son? Absolutely, because that relationship could not change. But was he in fellowship with me? Was I in fellowship with him? Were we getting along? Absolutely not. And why? Because of what I had done. Now listen to this. God wants, to be in a, he wants you to be in a relationship with him. He also wants you to be in fellowship with him. And when that fellowship is broken, here it is. It is because of something you have done, not anything that he's done. He is perfect. He is loving. He is forgiving. He does not need to be reconciled to us. We must be reconciled to him. And so this morning, what I'm telling you is, Jesus is our peace. What a joy. Christmas means so much. 
But primarily it means God loved you and me so much that he came in the person of a little baby to grow into a man who gave his life on the cross of Calvary. And in just a moment, we're going to remember what he did. But before we do that, let me ask you, have you received him? Have you asked him to be the Lord and master in your life? If you have not, would you do it today? And if you say, well, preacher, I made that decision a long time, but let me just ask you this. Where are you in your relationship with him, or your fellowship with him, I should say? Are you growing in Christ? Are you relying on his word? Are you responding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? I have, a, I have a suspicion. I don't know. I have a suspicion. There are some in this room, and somebody said, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they would say to you, well, what kind of Christian are you? I have a feeling that some would have to say, well, to tell you the truth, I hadn't been much Christian. I hadn't really done what I was supposed to do. I have done some things I shouldn't do. And maybe this morning, God speaking to you, said, I want you to have peace. And you can't have peace as long as you keep doing it your way. Would you turn your life over to him afresh and anew today? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here with us. And I pray now, Lord, as we prepare to respond, that you will lead us to do what you want. May your will be done in everyone's heart. Lord, even now, give courage and strength to all of us to do whatever it is that you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.